This is my second interview that I will be conducting for this capstone project. Um, and I would like to introduce the interviewee. So could you tell me your name, age, and pronouns, please? Hi, I'm Ethan. Um, I'm 24 and he, him. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ethan. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say and talk about some interesting topics. How are you feeling about this interview? Good. I'm really excited to be here. Um, this is a subject I really think needs uh, more attention, so I'm really happy that you guys are doing this and that I get to be a part of it. Well, thanks. I'm really excited too, and I'm so thankful that you're here today. Um, and honestly, I'm just really thankful that you sparked my interest into doing more research on this topic because if it weren't for knowing you um, and being around you and like just hearing things in passing, I wouldn't have taken the time myself. So uh, thank you so much. Um, but to just kind of give us some background, could you tell me your life story up until now? I mean, you don't have to be too specific, but just just a general overview? Uh, yeah, so um, I grew up one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, both my parents were raised by Jehovah's Witness parents as well. So um, pretty much grew up in a family and that was just that was just the way, what you did. You know, you followed, you went to all the meetings, you followed all the rules of the Jehovah's Witnesses and you didn't step out of line. Um, then until I turned about 18, I moved out, started, you know, experiencing the world uh, from a slightly less sheltered perspective uh, because the Jehovah's Witnesses have a very, very sheltered life, um, very strict rules that they have to follow and maintain. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, about three, four years ago, I started, you know, kind of declining uh, in my indoctrination so i say uh, uh meeting in you know church attendance and in doing that um started waking up a little bit more and then started eventually dropping off from going to the religious ceremonies of the Jehovah's witnesses uh waking up kind of, uh waking up kind of realizing you know certain things about it that weren't always what i thought it was and then eventually being kicked out of the religion uh, about two years ago Oh, wow. So you were, it sounds like it was a gradual process, but you were formally kicked out? Yep, I was formally kicked out. Um, there are certain rules, uh, such as that all Jehovah's Witnesses have to follow. And if you don't follow these rules, um, being the very high control organization that they are, if you don't follow these rules, you can be kicked out, ostracized, or excommunicated, um, as I was, uh, for not following of course i had a previous interview with one of my close friends and um she had the similar experience with uh, the ostracization and just being cut off from uh, everyone that was still in the religion um and yeah so can you just briefly describe your understanding of the jehovah's witness religion and kind of highlight the fundamental beliefs for listeners and people who just might not know anything about the religion? Yeah, exactly. So some of the fundamental beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses is that uh, that they are basically the only true religion, they think. Um, they think that God's name is Jehovah based off the English translation of the Tetragrammaton of the, in the, of the Hebrew word in the Bible. So they, they feel that 
they worship Jehovah as the ultimate God and that his son was Jesus Christ who came down to the earth and died for our sins. Um, and because of that, they, from interpreting the Bible according to the leaders of Jehovah's Witnesses organization, uh, have come to the conclusion that only 144,000 of Jehovah's Witnesses only will uh, go to heaven and that the rest of the 8 million Jehovah's Witnesses or however many uh, will become, will just still live here on earth uh, after Armageddon comes, which is supposed to come any day now, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, since they are a very doomsday cult. Um, they believe that Armageddon is going to come any second and get rid of everyone who's not one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, and then wow. after that, all Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, living now today, will grow to perfection, never die again, and just live on the earth happily ever after. Oh my gosh. Okay, that is a lot to address. So, um, you said only 144,000, all being Jehovah's Witnesses, that's it that's all going to go to heaven? Yeah, and then the rest will have the hope here on earth. They have a hope that to be here on earth, just living forever under the direction of those 144,000 in heaven along with Jesus and pretty much just doing whatever their bidding is. So what is like the the deciding factor for if you're going to be one of those 144,000 or if you're just going to be uh, left here on earth? Um, basically, most JWs uh, want to probably just live on earth, live in paradise. Anyone, the only ones who would be considered one of the 144,000 would be ones who are really, really high up in the JW, Jehovah's Witness organization, ones who are really kind of nose to the grindstone, working super hard in the JW ways of work, like knocking on doors, you know, excessive hours, like 70 to 100 plus hours a month, knocking on doors, trying to convert people. Oh, uh, wow things of that nature so is that you said most people would prefer to live here on earth after that or would they prefer is that kind of like a motivating factor to keep doing the outreach like knocking on doors and going participating in religious activities yeah the motivating factor is that they want to live here on earth forever and ever um the organization puts out so many magazines and brochures of like paradisical conditions um they do share scriptures about how uh, there's going to be a time, supposedly, from Revelation of no more uh, suffering and violence and things of that nature. But they, instead of taking it very metaphorically, per se, and they take it all literal, that this is literal stuff that's going to happen any day now. Okay. Um, and just to clarify, uh, what happens to the people that aren't Jehovah's Witnesses? Yep, to reiterate that, everyone, they believe that only Jehovah's Witnesses will be saved. So the rest of the what it, 7, 8 billion people on the earth will be destroyed. That's including, you know, your neighbor's new baby. That's including your mom, your sister, anyone. Oh, my gosh. Strictly follow the Jehovah's Witnesses beliefs. Even, even Jehovah's Witnesses, if they are baptized as a Jehovah's Witness and consider themselves a Jehovah's Witness, but do not actually go to say all meetings, all two meetings per week, every single week, then they're threatened with, oh, maybe, you know, oh, 
maybe Jehovah's not going to be happy with you. Maybe you're not good enough. Yeah, exactly. So it's all, there's never self, self love in that organization. There's never, um, promote promotion of it's always do this do more yeah exactly for the organization instead of actually healing or helping yourself to become a better person and you said the non-jehovah's witnesses or even the ones that aren't um, actively participating and uh meeting all of the expectations and everything um you said that they're destroyed are they simply destroyed and obliterated and in nothingness or do jehovah's witnesses believe in hell uh, they, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in a hell. They believe that when you're dead, you're just dead. There's just no more of you. Um, so because of that, they they believe that during Armageddon, it's all very kind of hazy in their eyes. They don't know exactly how God's going to do it, but God supposedly, through Jesus and these 144,000 um, of people who died and went to heaven, are going to come and basically kill everyone, probably with fire and brimstone, they believe, those who are not Jehovah's Witnesses. And then they believe that the birds will actually come and eat their corpses. So it's, it's very strange and very disturbing, their beliefs. They believe it down to the minute details just like that? Oh yeah, I remember as a kid just being told, yeah, and during Armageddon, uh, there will be a time after God kills them all, I'll just be standing there watching the birds eating the dead bodies so it's very traumatizing to they me. told you that as a child yeah it's very traumatizing wow that yeah i cannot imagine being told that as a child um that's definitely a lot of fear that was placed in you um and also i just want to um clarify this in my uh prior episode on this podcast that i talked about um the interviewee katie she mentioned how there is this misconception that um jesus is like that jehovah's witnesses don't believe in jesus and you you brought that up um so do you have any idea why that might be a misconception because i know jehovah's witnesses are like a branch of christianity correct me if i'm wrong yes they are they do consider themselves christian they just as i said don't believe that jesus was as is God himself who they believe is Jehovah. They believe that Jesus was God's first creation and then that Jesus created everything we see here and now. But not the Holy Trinity, right? But yeah, just not that that they're, they're equal. They believe Jesus is slightly below the footstool you know, of God. Okay, thank you for giving us some context on that. This might cause you to think back a long, long time. Um, I know you said you grew up in the religion, but what is the earliest memory that you can pinpoint of being a part of this religion and practicing it? Um, well, my parents uh, were actually disfellowshipped, so uh, excommunicated from being Jehovah's Witnesses when I was a baby. Um, oh. So... They didn't become Jehovah's Witnesses again until I was two years old. So right around two, three, four, um, I do have some very, very vague memories of knocking on doors already. You know, my mom would put me in a little suit and tie and put me in the car seat and drag me around knocking on doors, you know, two, three times a week. And then some of my other earliest memories are uh, going to one of the, the Kingdom Halls, as Jehovah's Witnesses call it, or their church. Um, just being very young, sleeping on the floor while my parents participated in their, their meetings. And 
Oh, wow. That's um, a long way back. I'm yeah. surprised you remember it that early, but I mean, it's something profound. I mean, that probably was your identity for such a long exactly. time. Um, if you don't want to share this, absolutely don't feel pressured to, but um, for what reason were your parents disfellowshipped? Do you know? Uh, it was for having me, so Jehovah's Witnesses believe that uh, sexual relations are only between a husband and wife, that uh, if anyone commits, you know, premarital sex, uh, they believe that's committing a sin mm-hmm. in God's eyes, and that if you aren't repentant, uh, that you'll be destroyed in Armageddon, or, you know, that you don't, you don't have that hope. And so because my parents, you know, had me before they were married, they were disfellowshipped wow and um do you know if at that time was that the only reason why or you said that they joined when you were two so there was obviously a little gap between them joining back was that because of their choice or because of the church um usually it's kind of a little bit of both um the church doctrine is that the holy spirit which they call god's active force works upon the leaders of each individual Jehovah's Witness congregation and that a group of like two or three of them will meet with, you know, one of the members of that congregation, one of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and will supposedly the Holy Spirit will work through them and decide if that person is repentant or if they're not. So which means if they should be excommunicated and ostracized from their entire life or if they're repentant enough basically it's all just what it comes down to whatever the elders the leaders personally think um if you're sorry enough you may be allowed to stay in but having lost all sorts of privileges and things of that nature wow so you basically just have to prove yourself and grovel enough until you it seems like until you're vulnerable enough like begging to come back basically yeah yeah and that's part of it when you commit like more serious sins you know so to say to them uh like premarital sex is that a pretty serious one yeah it's usually no questions asked you're going to be disfellowshipped and it's going to be usually at least a year to two um before you can come back so to come back you have to write out a letter basically groveling to the elders saying oh i'm so sorry i'm doing way better now and you have to attend every single Jehovah's witness organized event meeting worship session um in that period where you're being ostracized or excommunicated and this is uh the disfellowship process is something that I've researched myself, but just for the sake of listeners, I know you've experienced it and you said that your parents have as well. Can you just kind of paint a picture for myself and the listeners on what that looks like, what the process is like socially and just like logistically speaking? So basically if you commit a sin, which in Jehovah's Witnesses every single day, they believe we all sin, you know? Um, So it's a very, very easy thing to commit a sin, but there, and there's so many things that they do consider sins, you know, premarital sex, drunkenness, stealing, lying, thievery, adultery, smoking recreational drugs, you know, just to name a few. Um, and so if you were to do any of these, you know, things like say, get drunk, 
and another Jehovah's Witness saw or heard about you getting drunk, you'd have to talk, the elders would confront you and you'd have to explain to them all you did, what happened, and then they'll have this three-person judicial committee is what they call it, where basically it's like you're being judged uh, for what you did. So they'll ask for an in-depth, detailed account of what you did. even if that's sexually, they'll want to know all the details of... Like graphic details? Yes, of your sexual encounters, the things you did with your sexual partners. Um, to the graphic details, don't really want to get all into that right now. Of course. Podcast, but it is very probing and very humiliating. And um, that's something you experienced yourself. I experienced that myself, yeah. I had to explain to them all the things I had done with uh, my girlfriends and things of that nature. Um, but they also, the thing is, because they believe that they're God's holy ordained uh, ministers, that um, if any, say, for instance, 13-year-old has, you know, some sexual encounters, you know, at a young age, obviously that's just for between them and their parents. But what will happen is that these men, thinking that they're in their positions by God ordained, that they can basically they'll like for example corner off this 13 year old interview them find out all what they did you know sexually in order to you know decide what their fate should be but to me that is just very inappropriate seeing as that that's none of their business and because it is all just men doing it for one um there is many examples um so many witnesses of abuse uh it's especially when you're trusting people with someone that young i mean do they have to get the consent of the parent or is the consent just basically them being in the religion um a little bit of both usually they'll always talk to the parents but you know that doesn't stop them from cornering the witness uh, you know witness kids and you know asking them these super detailed and appropriate questions but um witnesses uh, especially witness kids are raised uh from a very young age uh, you know, being confronted with very deep, disturbing topics from bestiality to, oh you know, God. other depraved sexual things that are talked about during the meetings. And there's no Sunday school. There is no separation of kids from from the sermons being given. So they from a very young age, kids are introduced to very deep topics that are talked talked about that I think are. So you were sheltered in some ways, but in some ways you were just thrown into the fire so to speak exactly yeah so when did you start having all of these doubts about staying a part of your former religion um i would say probably about when i was 19 i started having some doubts uh i had just gotten out of a relationship with another jehovah's witness girl and jehovah's witnesses only date for marriage so um we had been dating a couple years and then it ended and um i was pretty depressed you know having just gone through my first breakup you know and in your mind during that relationship were you dating for marriage or oh yeah okay that was the plan and then um you know, after that ended, kind of had a rebound right after with another Jehovah's Witness girl. And then that ended um, short, you know, not long after. And then because me and her were, um, you know, breaking the Jehovah's Witness rule. Uh, so. 
It was just kind of probably a rocky yeah, transition. Yeah, it, it was very uh, hard because, you know, doing normal, natural things, you know, that all humans want and need to do, but being told uh, these things are bad or, you know, that you're going to be punished, uh, you know, for doing these things. Um, it just really didn't sit right with me. Um, and then having done that and then having a terrible guilty conscious, consciousness, or conscious, uh, then was, you know, literally pushing me to the point of suicide, you know, multiple suicide attempts. And like, I was just drowning in depression and things, you know, because I thought I was going to die because I was doing these, uh, things that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in. So I started, I was telling the elders, not necessarily about my sins, according to them, but just about my, you know, depression, um, that sort of things, um, you know, the multiple suicide attempts. And yet not once did I actually felt like they really cared or that anyone was listening to me. Um, what would they say when you would share these things with them? Uh, literally just go to more meetings. You just have to pray more and you need to go in service more. So not things that actually wow. so there deal was, with the human psyche and things of that nature. There was no like mental health discussion really? No, I think I only remember one specific elder, you know, really asking me like one time after I had mentioned it to them, like, how are you doing? You know, other than that, it was just... <clears throat> Why aren't you at enough or more meetings and you know it was kind of made into like that's your fault yeah exactly that which just makes it even worse yeah it's my fault for the question because i wasn't serving god enough and since they believe jehovah is the happy god that he'll be not you know it's, it's just very unrealistic and so yeah that's when i started having these you know started to have these doubts not necessarily about the religion um doctrine but more just about or not necessarily questioning why the religion was bad, but just more <clears throat> not vibing or not relating to uh, lots of the, the teachings of the religions of that, that religion. Well, I just first want to say I'm really, really happy that you were able to persevere through all those thoughts and attempts. And I just want to recognize how strong you are through pulling through that. Um, and you should be really proud of yourself. Oh, and then after that, so I started having uh, a worldly girlfriend, Um, and so at that point, I was pretty much just so in love with her that I didn't, you know, I loved her more than the religion, and, you know, so at that point, uh, I had gotten caught with her since she wasn't one of Jehovah's Witnesses. the elders or the leaders of the congregation then talked uh to me like about you know what the things that they had heard because of that i had to as i mentioned before go in depth about my circumstances all the things i had done with um that were sent to the jehovah's witness organization so it was very invasive and then they uh decided to disfellowship me or, or basically ostracize me so um, wow that's when i remember sitting there uh, I heard them announce Ethan is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and they say do not associate with him anymore. They and, say that to everybody. Yeah, and then um, like in a service or it was like, yeah, it's basically he's no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses. All association must be stopped. You know, along those lines, and um, 
so yeah, and that was the last meeting I had ever gone to. Um, and then after that, I had been out for a few years, and then that's when I really started to question the doctrines and the things uh, that really had made me left in the first place, I guess. For sure. And I just want to um, kind of go back to a couple of things you said, because I think it does a really good job of highlighting the communication processes that take place um, in, in relationships. So you said that you dated for the purpose of marriage. Is that something that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, do they go into a relationship like both explicit, explicitly stating like we're going to get married, like that is our plan? Or is that just the intention that you're supposed to enter it with in hopes and intentions that it will form to that. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't date for fun. Like they're told you can't date for fun. <clears throat> so if you're gonna start dating, you better be like already kind of know who this person is and kind of know already, at least in their heads, like, hey, this is the person I wanna marry or not. So, and because of, the, of their doctrine of no premarital <clears throat> pre sex, uh, what happens is essentially a case, you know, young people, they want to do that. So what happens is a lot of Jehovah's Witness kids will get married at 17, 18, um, date for only a couple months and literally get married. Um, so it's very sad. Just so they can have sex. Just so they can have sex. And it's very sad because obviously most of these marriages, uh, they're not really based upon love and if they really make a good husband for me because most of them are just kids and they don't even know who they are. Right. And, so, and they're just having urges that any other teenager or young adult would have. Exactly. And that's the only way to kind of make it seem more acceptable. Um, if you don't feel comfortable answering this question, and no means do you have to, but um, we're... I'm just curious, um, you said with your worldly girlfriend, you had been uh, caught with her. Was that by your family, friends? Like how did the elders get word of that? Uh, basically me and her were seen at uh, a farmer's market by another Jehovah's Witness who then told another Jehovah's Witness who then came over to my house. And so as I mentioned before, Jehovah's Witnesses are not even allowed to have association with people who aren't of their religion much less alone a girlfriend um so yeah and then it was relayed and uh at the time since i had thought that perhaps i i was aired that i was the one sinning that it was my own selfishness that had made me do this and that god was displeased with me so i did tell them but then after that i it was almost like after the words left my mouth, I kind of realized, oh, this is not at all what I want. And so that moment when I was disfellowshipped, I had to talk to my parents and we basically had a conversation. My parents said, OK, this is it. This is the last time we'll ever see you again if you don't decide to come back. And my dad just like made me promise to come back, which was a promise that I couldn't keep. Just to paint a little bit more of a clear picture um when you did arrive at that decision that you no longer wanted to remain a jehovah's witness what was the process like after you had had that conversation with your family and you had seen them from the last time like what was it like just completely detaching from what you had known your entire life um it was honestly the hardest thing that i've ever gone through i mean i at the same time, I knew what I was doing. I knew the consequences of my actions. I knew that 
I would lose every single friend I had known for my entire 20-some years. My, I'd lose my parents, my sisters, all relatives, anyone associated with the Jehovah's Witness. So I knew that my entire life was going to change and I was headed out on my own. Um, so doing that, it was really hard. Um, not literally having no, no foundation, no nothing, just all winging it and figuring it out on my own. Luckily enough, like I realized that so-called worldly people or people who I thought were part of Satan's world uh, were actually more loving and unconditional love and, you know, helped me get back on my feet. I had a few friends who were Jehovah's Witnesses who had left um, prior to me, so they were able to help me kind of guide me along in the sense of, like, in my waking up to um, a lot of the false doctrines being promoted and and taught within Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I was able to read uh, actually one of the leaders of the, of the Jehovah's Witnesses, a member of the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses, had left and he wrote a book, which, uh, Crisis of Consciousness by Ray France, which was a really impactful book on me. It, it really showed me all the hypocrisy, the lies, and the pain that the, the Jehovah's Witness doctrine really promotes. And um, seeing that just that did lead me down the rabbit hole and I was able to completely wake up from my indoctrination of a very limited narrow-minded path right um and you said that you had had some friends who were already uh had been former Jehovah's Witnesses that were already out of the religion did that have any impact on your decision to actually committing to detaching from a religion or um, how, how did you view them before, during, and after you left? Um, actually, they had I had two specific uh, best friends who had left probably like three years ahead of me who had tried to convince me that the religion was, you know, a farce. Uh, but at that time, because I was so indoctrinated, I was told that these people are apostates, um, which apostate literally just means one to renounce his faith. But in Jehovah's Witness terms, apostates are literally worse than worldly people. Apostates are witnesses who then uh, decided not only to not become witnesses, but also just to not believe the same and to even, you know, help other people wake up from indoctrination. Um, And I don't want this to seem at all like this is talking bad about Jehovah's Witnesses the people. They are very wonderful people. It's just a lot of their practices are very, very detrimental, um, such as the two witness rule. Uh, There's a lot, thousands and thousands of uh, sexual child abuse going on in the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, communities because they have certain rules like only uh, you have to have two people they have this thing called a two witness rule. So you have to have two other people witness uh, a, a sin. So like rape, say a woman or a child was raped. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses won't convict that person because that person did not have two other witnesses to that rape, which when someone is raped, that is never the case. You know, usually it's done wow. under the cover of darkness, you know? Right. That's not something you're just doing out in the open. Um, and I had actually read about that in my prior research to doing this podcast, um, about a few instances, which seemed to be a trend. Um, and what I had read was like 
there were it was discovered after years that certain churches and like the watchtower they had had these documented cases of sexual assault rape uh, like etc that were documented and even if there were witnesses they weren't reported to the police yeah they're told not to report to the police because it would bring shame upon jehovah's name basically the the governing body or the heads of the jehovah's witnesses don't want any bad pr is what it essentially comes down to so which means sacrificing and bulldozing over kids you know abuse victims anyone who gets in the way of their agenda which ultimately comes down to a big money-making scheme Wow. So they care more about the maintenance of their image than they actually do the traumas and crimes that are committed against their own people. Exactly. And, you know, just waking up to that, realizing, hey, this is not okay. This is not a loving thing. These are not loving arrangements. This is not what, you know, a quote unquote Christian organization should be promoting. And this is just one of many, many other teachings that are so horrendous such as like the blood transfusion um no jehovah's witnesses are allowed to accept blood so even if i was dying on a hospital bed you know uh, my parents would make me carry around a card that says i would not allow blood transfusion so if i was a kid and say i got in a terrible car accident and needed a blood transfusion my parents would have just let me die on the spot because they jehovah's witnesses believe according to their translation of the bible that god says that that's not an okay thing to do Oh my God. And have you had any personal experiences with the things that we've been talking about that you would feel comfortable sharing or personal experiences of others that you have witnessed, not naming any names or anything? I mean, I guess in relation to what? Um, just in a relationship, in relation to like blood transfusions. Have you heard any stories about that? No. Or like um, yeah, abuse of elders, etc.? There's always multiple. Um, people dealing with that and going through that and a lot of times the organization will even publish articles of ones who have died for not taking a transfusion a blood transfusion almost to like proudly yeah almost like to hype them up see they died for their faith they died for jehovah you know they did a good thing and so literally that's like a, a you know that's just a terrible thing to me that anyone could be that that insensitive to human life since leaving the religion, how have your morals, values, and ideologies changed? Um, I would say it has made me a way more loving person. I think that what that religion really does psychologically is just keeps you in such a state of fear that you're not able to really grow as a person to realize who you are and what you want to be. And the fact that we're all on different paths, we're all on different stages of growth, um, you can't just hold people to such a rigid black and white. I want really just learn to follow my own heart, my own moral compass um, to really guide me, to know that things aren't always black and white and that there are gray areas. Um, and But I do appreciate definitely the values that Jehovah's Witnesses um, instilled upon me, especially my parents. I know I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be a loving and kind person because they do love people and they do want to, at least the everyday average Jehovah's Witnesses, do love people and want everyone to, you know, be free of suffering and things of that nature. But it's still... It's just, is it just kind of like they don't know? Like they think that in their minds they're doing good. Exactly. And it's just... They don't, it's just about all slowing down, stopping, and really, really thinking, 
who am I and what am I doing and how is it affecting others? And that, that's these thoughts, thought processes just aren't being done. You know, it's just that group think that being told what to think. You can only research what we say by our own, you know, websites. And, and that's just really, it promotes a very narrow minded uh, viewpoint. And they're, you know, you're almost told, you, hey, we're not going to do, you're not going to do any thinking. We're going to do the thinking for you. So I guess that really, in waking up, I've had to completely disprove the religion, you know, to myself in order to free myself from. Uh, basically, I when I when I first left the religion, I was still having nightmares that Armageddon was coming and that Jehovah or God was killing me because I was doing things that didn't please Him. But after really researching that, um, it really just made me research my whole life and just like really think, who am I? What am I and what do I want? So it really has made me a better person, a more whole, a complete person, integrating, you know, more my shadow or subconscious aspects of myself that I don't even really realize I have, you know. So at the end of the day, I would never regret leaving. I don't regret, you know, waking up to becoming a better person, um, loving everyone for who they are and most importantly loving them not conditionally not i only love you because you're one of jehovah's witness i only love you as this or this or that but actually loving people and accepting reality as it is and people as they are not trying to hold them to any expectation you know even with our own minds because that's ultimately what leads leads to suffering very 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 well said um and i know you said earlier that you're a spiritual person and you still are um do you have any specific spiritual beliefs that you have right now uh, or any practices that you follow right now um yes i'm a very spiritual person um and spiritual to me just means anyone going be to experience having an experience beyond the body and i think I, literally every one of us do that even at night dreaming um so i just i really love studying consciousness um nature to me really is the perfect teacher for that um so i spend a lot of time in nature and i really would consider myself an omniist meaning i see beauty and truth in all religions and all walkways um i guess for me though i really have learned throughout all of this to not get hung up on ideologies not to get hung up on um certain teachings because at the end of the day everyone's going to have their own truth everyone's going to have their own perspective and not everyone's going to see things the same way but the the point of life i think is definitely to learn and to grow and to improve to evolve to become a better person and and to accept our ourself you know as we are for who we are but yet still keep on improving how has your perspective of jehovah's witnesses changed now that you no longer are a part of that religion um at first, when I had first gotten kicked out, of course, there was a lot of anger, a lot of hate, you know, hatred for the for the leaders of the organization to make such rules. Um, you know, hatred of my parents, or maybe not hatred, anger at my parents for, you know, leaving me. I, it was the hardest time of my life, um, you know, just really feeling I've never felt that unloved before my entire life to have everyone I ever knew just completely cut me out in one day you know not even not even a a couple day you know you know not even my parents weren't don't my parents literally follow the doctrine 
because they're scared that the same will have to, the, to happen to them if they don't follow the doctrine and follow the rules of the Charles Witness organization. So they feel that they'll lose their life if they talk to me. And it's their obligation to love Jehovah overall, right? Yep. So they, I, why do you find it very commendable that they love God more than me? At the same time, I don't think this is something that anyone would want, especially if you're going to personify reality or consciousness or God in the first place. I don't think that would be something he would want or she would want. For sure. And over time, has that um, anger and animosity subsided at all? Yes, exactly. Now, now, after having realized and learned the things I have, um, I would never... I, I know that really everyone is on their own journey. Um, so there's no hatred, there's only love, you know, even for the leaders, um, you know, a lot of these people just are seriously brainwashed, and this religion has been going on uh, since the 1800s, so it's honestly generation after generational of brainwashing and kind of misleading, so it's very good to realize that these are all just very heartbroken people who have been you know, misled, that doesn't mean they're bad, that doesn't mean they want to cause harm, you know, they think they are doing the best that they can, and that's all we can ask of anyone, and at the same time, no one owes us anything, you know, my parents don't have to have a relationship with me, no one owes it, it's just, it's a thing of love, you know, and, and I think it's just stopping and slowing down, and even enjoying the old times, you know, the past memories of stuff that's happened, you know, like even even all the horrible things that you've been sharing i mean you wouldn't be sitting here with the knowledge and wisdom and life experiences that you have if you wouldn't have been through it i know you said that you don't regret uh leaving the religion but would you ever consider going back uh definitely not honestly being disfellowshipped or excommunicated from the religion was definitely the best thing that has ever happened to me it's really caused me to look at the world with new eyes and new light and just really realize we always have to question everything you know a lot of times reality isn't what it seems you know and i think it's very good to not think that we know everything and for me i don't think a religion should say that they have all the answers because i think if you have all the answers you are fundamentally missing something and because that's the whole point of this universe it's all infinite it's all endless you know like i don't think we are meant to know everything at this point you know at this stage and especially in a religion that just doesn't even teach what i believe in that doesn't stand for who i am you know that doesn't actually take care of the planet that doesn't actually teach you to lead or promote a healthy lifestyle that doesn't actually work with you know your body that doesn't work with you know your mind your psychology i just don't think that a religion base like should be like that as it is, especially one that's as detrimental to people's health and abuse as that religion is. Definitely, and it sounds like it would just be a disgrace to yourself. And even if you were doing it for just rekindling and maintaining relationships with your family, it'd be a disgrace to them because you wouldn't be living your truth. You wouldn't be living living your life exactly that's what honestly this has taught me more than anything is that you know this life is for us we can't live our life for our parents we can't live our life for anyone else this is you know 
this is time for us to live our lives for ourselves and to, you know, make the best of what we have, you know, enjoy every precious, precious, beautiful present moment. You know, we have the opportunities to stop every day and examine, you know, our life, where we're at, you know, what we're doing and where we're going. You know, we can always change courses and always grow. Very well said. Um, and now uh, just being on the outside of the religion um, and uh, being associated with what they call worldly people, what are some common misconceptions that uh, non-Jehovah's Witnesses have toward the religion or the people? Um, I think just that they're just like any other religion, and that's they're they're not. I mean, in my eyes, they definitely are very high control cult. When you look up the word cult, I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses are every every definition of that word. Um, so. I think people just not realizing how detrimental um, the religion is, how many how many people have died from suicide because of this religion, how many people uh, are abuse victims, uh, and just the hypocrisy that goes on in this religion, the amount of thousands that have died even for Jehovah's, uh, for the Jehovah's Witness laws and rules and regulations. Um, I don't think anyone should ever have to literally lay down their life for that. And I'll be the first to say, I mean, I really had no idea what Jehovah's Witness was about um, until I started doing this research. And like I said, until you exposed me to it and actually started a conversation with me, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but really all I knew was that they came to your doors and they knocked and they tried to like um, engage you in conversation. And I knew about um, vaguely about Armageddon, but... I mean, there's just so much that is kept under wraps and that people aren't talking about that it blows my mind. I mean, these are serious topics that nobody should be experience, experiencing or subjected to. Um, so I think it's really important that we're, we are doing this. And I think that people need to continue to raise awareness and keep conversations going. Um, and then kind of on the other hand with my last question, what are some misconceptions uh there's how do, how do how do jehovah's witnesses regard non-believers um as i mentioned before it, it is a very narcissistic approach to people who aren't uh jehovah's witnesses or worldly people it's that they're not as good um hopefully that they'll become jehovah's witnesses which is why they do the preaching you know their preaching work knocking on doors but at the same time, they know that most people won't convert, especially with the stringent standards that Jehovah's Witnesses have. So they kind of just view them as nothing, just extras. And uh, one kind of memory came to mind as you were talking. I remember one time you told me, if you want to let our listeners in on this, you told me one time that uh, while you would drive around looking at houses... Uh, what they would say. Do you remember what you oh, told me? Yeah, they plan, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses knock on doors and they go to a really fancy, rich mansion. You know, a lot of them say, ooh, I can't wait to have this house in paradise. You know, so they're even planning to have people's houses. You I know, mean, it's probably a joke, it. but like... Yeah, so it's just like, that's just the, the mentality. Mindset. Yeah, and there's just so much more. Just not time to go into depth with it all. For sure. Um, and I have... I have uh, my other research with additional sources and things if any of these the listeners are intrigued to do further research and reading um and i encourage you to do that by yourself as well um 
And just lastly, if you could tell the people listening one thing, uh, what would it be if there's anything else? Um, I would say it's always question everything. You know, even if we think we have the answers, maybe we don't actually, maybe we're not right. Maybe we're not standing on as firm a footing as we really think. So I think we should always keep questioning and keep testing ourselves, you know, really asking ourselves, you know, with every decision we make in life, you know, hey, is this, is this, is this thing a thing of love or is it not? And I think if it is, if it's not a thing of love, then, you know, or if it is a thing of love, then we know that's, that's the thing we should be doing. So I guess just really being, embodying love, embodying that infinite oneness with other humans you know realizing that hey we're all in the same space together we're all in this universe together you know not having that that mentality of it's us versus them or that just the whole fact that you know it's just promoted that this is a scarcity type place and i really don't think it is i think that there is room for love always and so i would just say the one thing is focus on love well, I mean, that's a really simple statement that encompasses a lot, and I couldn't agree with that more. Um, and Ethan, I just want to thank you again for sitting down and talking with me today. Um, and I know that everyone listening appreciates it as well. Uh, I've just really been exposed to so much by you and learned a lot. So I just really want you to know that I do appreciate you. Um, and thank you again to everyone who's listened to this podcast. This is the second and final episode. And again, if there are any questions, comments, concerns, please contact me, Annalise McCain at amccain at unomaha.edu. If you have any questions for the interviewees, I will pass them along and get back to you as soon as possible. Thanks again.